Psalm 119, verse 160. Praise God. It says, the entirety or the sum or the entirety of your word is truth. Hallelujah. The Bible declares that God's word, every, every jot, every tittle, from the beginning to the end, the entirety or the sum of it is truth. There isn't any, there is, there is, there is not any part of God's word that is not true. And when, we, when, you, when you look at it, when you read a book or a novel or something, some parts may be true, some parts may be not. Some parts may be uh, okay, some may be exaggerated. You know, people stretch things to make them, uh, you know, sound bigger. I caught a fish, you know, this big. But God does not exaggerate. God's word is true. It, the sum of it, the entirety of God's word, the Bible declares, is true, is truth. Something that we can base our lives on, put our trust in, something we could stand upon and know we are upon a rock that does not change and does not waver. In the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse number 17, John 17, 17. Chapter 17, verse 17. Jesus speaking to his disciples, he, he was praying he was praying, just John chapter 17 is a prayer. Jesus praying for his disciples. How many of you know Jesus is praying for you? He is at the right hand of God, interceding for us, praying for us every day. You talk about a prayer partner, <laughs> it doesn't get better than Jesus, does it? But Jesus tells us we need to pray one for another. We need to pray. We can't discount the value of our prayer. But, there is no one greater than Jesus praying for us, interceding for us. One of his prayers, one of the prayers of Jesus to the Father for you and for me, for us, is that we be sanctified, set apart, sanctify them by your truth. What is the truth? The word of God. And so Jesus' prayer is that we be set apart according to God's word, that if we believe God's word and take it to heart and stand upon it, it will set us apart. It will bring us to higher ground that we can be standing on. And so this is the higher ground is the truth. One part of the higher ground is the truth of God's word. And Jesus said, Father, my prayer is that you sanctify them, set them apart by your word. And Jesus says, your word is truth. It's recorded throughout the Old, I'm just giving you two scriptures, there's more. But the Old Testament declares that the entirety, all of God's word is true. All of it, all of it. That's why in Revelations it says don't change anything because that's not God's word was given as is and every word of it is true. And Jesus says, your word is true, Father. Set those apart on higher ground who believe on your truth and your word. Hallelujah. So I want to be on higher ground. The truth of God's word is higher ground. Amen. Praise the Lord. We can look at the world around us. You know, as long as God gives us breath and we have eyes to open, we look around the world around us and what do we see? We see a whole slew of things, don't we? There's a life. There's life. Life abounds around you. How many of you know life abounds around you if you're still living, right? If you're not living, life still abounds around you, hopefully, when in heaven where you wind up, where you will be, right? You don't want to wind up anywhere else 
We want to be with the Lord and we want to be in that place where there's no more death and no more. I want my eyes to open to see a place where there's no more death and no more dying. Amen. No more hunger, thirst and all that stuff. But we live in a world that around that is around us. And while we live, Jesus says, come, come up higher ground, come up to the, the truth of the word of God and stand upon it and observe all things through the eyes, through the word of God. Amen. Live your life through the word of God and observe all things. In the Bible, from between Genesis and Revelation, God declares many things and he declares many things that are scientific in nature. God declares that he knows all things, that he's all wise God and all creator God. He created everything and he created it in his wisdom and in his knowledge. And therefore, God revealed to man scientific knowledge, when you look at it that way, before man even knew it was scientific knowledge. God's word declared that I am God the creator. And let me explain to you a few things. God wants to explain to mankind a few things before they even discover these things that he's telling them about so that mankind would know that God t taught them these things and gave them insights into some of these things, not everything, some of the things, before man even God became aware that, oh, yeah, that's right, oh, yeah. And so all these things God foretold and, and he gave foreknowledge of these things to man to do one thing, to let man look up and say, there is a God in heaven. Hallelujah. God mentioned scientific things thousands of years before science or scientists even discover them, that they were there. You know, and man needs all kinds of uh, tools, uh, telescopes and teller, you know, all kinds of all kinds of inventions to try and find out what what this world is made of and what's out there. But all they had to do is ask God and God could have gave them a little uh, heads up on things, on what's going on. And the writers of the Bible, the men who God uh, called and anointed and gave his word, spoke his word through and had them. The writers of the Bible write these things down, inspiration from God through these men. They knew that it wasn't, they weren't writing things in here based on their knowledge because they didn't know any of the, they didn't have a clue what God was saying about the scientific aspect. They just said, well, Lord, if you've given this to me to write, I'm writing it down. And so they had no clue of what they were, some of them were writing down. Just because they wrote it doesn't mean they understood it. Just because they wrote it didn't mean they had full knowledge of it. They just said, Lord, this is what you want me to put on paper. This is what is going on paper. And later it would be found that what God said was just amazing. Just utterly amazing and fantastic. And it goes to show that God not only has spoken through his word, he is speaking through his word. And guess what? God will continue to speak to his word, through his word, if we have ears to hear. Let's look at a few things, a few scriptural statements that are scientific statements given by God and made by God. Hallelujah. In Genesis chapter 15, verse number 5, the word of God declares this. 
It says, then he brought him outside Abraham, and he said, now look towards the heavens and count the stars if you are able to number them. Meaning, Abraham, look up there. If you're able to count them, go ahead and count them. But it was like saying, it's impossible. You're not going to do that. We live in a modern scientific age with all kinds of electronic uh, devices and, and uh, inventions of man. And guess what? There's still to this day, there is not a calculator that can calculate the number of stars that are in the heavens. You, under, you all hear that? There is not a calculator that can calculate the number of stars that are in heaven. With all of man's technology, they still can't number the number of stars. They can't say to you and publish in a journal or on a front page, there are only uh, X amount of stars and there ain't no more. They can't do that. Man cannot do that. It's impossible. And because if they did, they would prove God's word to be in error. Because God says you can't number them. And guess what? Man cannot number them to this day. And man, guess what? Will never be able to number them. Hallelujah. If they did, God could just add another one. <laughs> but it's impossible. God, it can't. So God in Genesis says the stars are too great. How did, how did man know that they would not be able sometime to not count the number of stars? Well, on a, you know, on a clear night at night, we can all get together and we can start counting. And guess what? We'll count. No, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. People just let that slide. But that is a scientific fact. Man, to this day, cannot count the number of stars. And God told this way back in then to Abraham before there were things that they have today. And he said, and this is spoken to all generations. God wasn't speaking just to Abraham. God is speaking to scientists today. God is speaking to mankind today. You cannot number because I created them, and I'm telling you, I know, God is saying, I know how many stars there are. I named every, just imagine that. They're, they're uncalculable, but yet God has the ability to put a name to every star that is out there. Man discovers a new star and tries to figure out, okay, what are we going to call this? God says, I already know the name, hello. But I'm not going to tell you right now, you know. And so God not only created the stars and put them where they need to be, but he has a name for every one of them. Just like every individual born, God has a name for you. If God knit you and fashioned you and formed you in the womb, he didn't put a name like X, this is X, this is Y, this is Z, and this one, I don't know, X2. God has a name for you. And the Bible says when we get to heaven, he's going to give us a new name. Our parents give us names, but you know, God has a name for us. When he knit us together in the net womb, he knows us. The Bible says, I've called you by name. On the earthly realm, we're known by Pastor Al or Sister Ruth Joy or, you know, Sister Donna, Sister Carol. 
But we don't know if that's the name that God calls us by. God speaks to our spirit. God speaks to our heart. And when he calls us, he calls us in the depths of our very being. There's a name in here that God knows. It doesn't matter if man knows your name. God knows your name. And it's not necessarily, the, I'm not saying it's not, I'm not necessarily the name on your birth certificate. But God formed you and fashioned you in the womb. And it says, I've called you by name. Hallelujah. Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 22. And it says, Jeremiah 33, 22, As the host of heaven cannot be numbered, neither can the sand of the sea be numbered or measured. <laughs> Hallelujah. Where did the sand of the sea come from? God created that. He made every, every little piece of granule of sand and he just, he just put it down on the face of the earth. And even again to this day, man cannot number or count or measure the number of pieces of sand in the world in the sea. Because there's the beach and then there's all the sand that's underneath the waters that goes outward. And who knows where else sand is. God knows how much sand is there to the very last granule, but man cannot. We love to go on the beach, don't you? You love to go on the beach sometimes and hang out and get suntan, sunburn. No, not sunburn. And then you run into the water, you come back out, or you just sit there and watch the waves, and you have that cool breeze coming off from the ocean, and you sit on the sand and you wonder, who thought of this? Who thought of putting sand by water, something that is... Right? God is a wondrous, awesome God. And God says, with all your intelligence, you're not going to be able to count and number the sand that is on the sea. Just as you can't count the stars in the sky. Hallelujah. Isaiah chapter 40, verse number 22. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22. Speaking about the earth and the shape of the earth. That the shape of the earth is round. Hallelujah. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 22. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. <laughs> he who stretches the, out the heavens like a curtain. And spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. Hallelujah. Let me just tell you. You know, God was saying way back then that the earth is a circle. It's not oblong. It's not a rectangle. It's not hello flat. You know, you're not going to walk and come off the end of the earth. You know, like they believed way back at one point the earth was flat. You went too far. Oh, there you go. I don't know where they went, but whoa, there they go. <laughs> but then man discovered, right? Thousands of years after God spoke it, hey, it looks like the earth is a circle that is round. It's not oblong. It's not egg-shaped. It's not rectangular or triangular or octagon. Or it's, it's, it's round. It's a circle. But God spoke that way before man even had a clue of how to determine if it was a circle or not. And God said, let me tell you, blow a clue you in here, the earth that you're living on and standing on is a circle. It's round. Well, how if it's a circle, how could somebody be on the top and somebody be on the bottom and not one of them fall off? Huh? 
right? If somebody told you, hey, you're living on a circle, you're living on a ball, oh, how could that be? Well, somebody's got to fall off or slide this way or that way, huh? But do you think God's got all that figured out, huh? And it says, let me tell you, you see, you ever, how many of you have like a little snow globe or a little globe in your home? It's like round and you can shake it and all, this, and all the things go in there. That's what this verse is saying, that, that the world that we can perceive, the, the natural world, is kind of like that. The Bible says that God has put the sky, he stretched it out like a curtain and it closed the globe. And so we can see the earth, we're on the earth, we can see snow coming down, we can see the sky, but we can't see beyond a certain amount of time. And it's like a globe. It's like being in a globe that God, it says, he sits on it. He has, he rides upon a thing. And so if you can imagine living inside of a globe, a little minuscule thing, and, and you know, and God said he's going to shake the world at some point in time. And what remains. But you can get an idea when you see a globe of, of, Psalm, uh, of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22. It's like a globe, circular. And inside of it, there's, there's whatever, the earth, there's people, there's the universe. And, and, but God says beyond that, there's life beyond the globe in your, on your table. But inside the globe, if you turn off the lights and everything, you can't see. If you were inside that globe, you can only see what's inside that globe. You can't see with the outside. And we know that there's, there, there's third heaven, there, there's heavens and heavens. We can't see them. We, we can only see, we're limited by what we can see. But God says, I created, I created the earth. It's round. And I, I covered it with, with the heavens. And I, like a tent to dwell in. Hallelujah. And in Job chapter 26, verse number 7, it says, he stretches out the north over empty space. He hangs, he hangs the earth on nothing. Okay, there's the solar system. We got, okay, man finally figured that out. There's a solar system and, and, but how come they don't go shooting off this way? That, how come they just keep going around and how come they stay in place and they don't crash into each other? And how does, how does that happen? You know? What, what, holds, what holds that suspended in space like that? How, how does that happen? How does, a, how does a planet like planet Earth, how does the moon, how does the sun, how does, a, how does Jupiter, Pluto, am I right? Don't, anyway, how do these planets stay in their orbits and stay in place? There's nothing that holds them there. No, you know, guys, sometimes we need suspenders, you know, to hold up our pants. You know, you need suspenders. And the Bible says the earth is not suspended. The earth doesn't have suspenders on it. You know, okay, I, I got the earth and I'm suspending it here. And if the suspender breaks, you're like, no, sorry. You know, oops, problem. The earth is not suspended. It doesn't have suspenders holding it up. What holds up the earth is the word of God. God set it in motion. Man can still cannot figure out how all this stuff works. They're still scratching their head. They can tell you, oh yeah, the, this rotates around that and that rotates around that. Well, how does it do that? Well, we really don't know, but it does. It rotates around and it rotates around and, and it rotates around. But the Bible said way back then, the earth hangs on nothing. 
It talks in Psalm 8, 8, Psalm 8, 8, and, and also in Job 38, 16. It talks about in Psalm 8, verse 8, and also in Job 38, 16, Psalm 8, 8, and Job 38, 16. It talks about that the fish pass through the paths of the sea, and it talks about the currents. That, that, that there, there's, there's underneath the waters, there's the waves. What causes the waves? Underneath the waves, there's currents. There's things that take place underneath the waters that man is, is still discovering the depths of the sea. The sea goes down for miles in some places. And man can only go so far down. And in Job, it says, can man walk on the bottom of the sea? The Bible, he is put to a question. Can have you walked on the bottom of the sea? If you have, let me know about it. Because it's not going to happen. You might go down in a submarine only so far. They're still working on equipment to see how far down they can go. But they can't get out of that equipment because the pressure would just crush them. They would die. They would, the pressure. So God said to mankind, you cannot walk on the bottom of the ocean. There's currents down there that you don't even know about. But yet the fish, you see, where man can't go down in the depths, yet they go down in these little things with cameras and they see fish swimming around. A man would be crushed instantly. A man would die like that. But yet, here are these creatures swimming around looking like, hello, what are you doing here? Who are you? Nice to come and visit. Come on out and play. You know? Man said, I can't do that. But yet God created, how did he do that? How does, how man can still not comprehend. They'll tell you, oh, the fish live here and these creatures live there. How does a fish survive in a place where a man would be instantly terminated? Is a fish got stronger skin than you? Pull one of those fish out of the water and put them on a table and see what they're made of. They're not made of iron and steel. They don't have plates of iron this thick that they can't be crushed. They got eyeballs. They breathe in the water. And yet, they're not instantly terminated. They're swimming around there like, hello, this is our place. We love it down here. Don't hit and ruin my furniture. You know, come on, you can visit. Don't. Think about that. Has man been able to walk on the bottom of the depths of the sea, but yet all the fish swim around? Think about that. How is that possible? That boggles the mind of man. It still does. They, man cannot figure it out. Acts chapter 17, verse 26. It says, and he has, Acts chapter 17, verse 26, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. The Bible declares that mankind is made from one blood. Blood flows inside a person who is white, who is black, who is any, any color you, you pick to think of or say, the blood inside is the same. The type of blood may be different, type A or B or O, but the blood is still the same thing. And it flows through every man 
and every woman who lives. And without that blood, you cannot live and you will not live. If you lose X amount of blood, you will die. Life is in the blood. Let me tell you some medical truths that God spoke to man. God said, I'll give you a little heads up on the medical part of life. And he says in Leviticus 17, verses 11 and 14. Leviticus 11, uh, um, Leviticus 17, 11 and 14. It says, and, and God spoke this like 14, 1500 B.C. He says, hello, life is in the blood. And the life of the flesh is blood. What makes you live and breathe is there's blood flowing in your body. Take the blood out of your body and you will no longer be breathing. You will no longer be speaking or thinking or doing any, anything. And it says the life of the blood is it, it, the, the life of the flesh is in the blood. In Leviticus 17, 11, he also says that, bl- that, that the blood makes atonement for sin. In 17, 14, it says blood sustains life. Sustains life. This is 14, 14 1500 B.C. God is saying life is in the blood. You think man got that? When George Washington, you all know who George Washington is, right? I don't need to tell you who he is, right? When in George Washington's day, and even previous, but in George Washington's day, the way they treated sickness and disease was, we got to let some blood out. That was what the doctors thought. Okay, you're sick? Come here, let's take some blood out. If you're more sick, maybe we'll take more blood out. They did this. This is true. This is, this is not imagination. This is true. But did they know that God said life is in the blood? You let too much blood out, you're, you're in trouble. You're in bigger trouble than you thought you were sick. Now you're in big trouble. But man didn't pay attention to God's word that there's life in the blood. And they just thought, hey, let the blood out. The devil is always trying to find ways. You think the devil doesn't know there's life in the blood? He believes God's word. He knows God's word is true. I mean, he believes it, but he doesn't obey it. He doesn't want to receive it. And if man would only look to God's word and say, you know, he's a creator He's telling us life is in the blood. We better be careful what we do and how much if we. George Washington, they say, died because they let too much blood out of him. And he died because the doctors thought, let's let a little bit more blood out and you'll get better. Well, if he was a believer in Jesus Christ, he got better in, in the eternal hereafter. But, you see, man let out too much blood, and he died. You know how many others died the same way? Sad, but true. 
But God could have said, I could have told you, hey, life is in the blood. Lose too much blood, you lose your life. And man discovered, because in 1830, a, a man called Dr. Marshall Hall, he came out in strong opposition to say, no, you've got to stop doing that stuff because it's dangerous. Someone can lose their lives. People have lost their lives. And so they began to reverse that and go away from the letting of blood and try to figure out some other way to cure something by not letting out the blood. And then came in all the other stuff with side effects and everything else. Circumcision. How many of you ever thought about circumcision as a, as a medical thing with God? In Genesis chapter 17, verse 12, it says, He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised every male child in your generations. At eight days old, circumcise them. Not at day seven, not at day nine or ten, not at day two, day eight. Hey, that must be God's favorite number. I mean, why did he pick number eight? Because he's an all-wise God. He's a creator. He, he formed you and fashioned you in the womb. God knows all things. This is going way back again, you know, 15, 14, 1500 years ago. Man didn't have a clue of, of medical uh, knowledge that they have today. But God was saying, let me give you a heads up. Listen to me. When a child is eight years old, eight days old, Thank you, honey. Eight days old, circumcise him on day eight. Why day eight? Or why? Why, why, can't, why can't we do it on day seven? Why can't we do it on day nine? God always gives us his word. He's, he, wants, he says, I am your father. I am the creator. I formed you. I fashioned you. Listen to me. I want to bless you. I want, if you, if you follow my word, you will be blessed. How many of you believe you'll be blessed? God's word does not lead you astray. God does not have trickery in his word. God has truth in his word. God says, my word will be a blessing to your life. If you follow my word, follow the teachings and the guidelines of my word, your life will be blessed. Day eight, circumcise your children. In 1935, a professor uh, he discovered vitamin K, or, or came up with the name, he didn't discover, he came up with the name vitamin K for the factor which helps prevent hemorrhaging in baby chicks. He found that vitamin K would, stop, would help uh, clot the blood. Vitamin K is responsible, they discovered that through, through medical, uh, you know, Eventually, but this is fairly current, vitamin K is responsible for the production of prothrombin. Prothrombin is needed to cause coagulation, clotting of the blood. Vitamin K is essential in the synthesis a prothrombin. Why did God say day eight? Because it's been found that on the fifth through seventh days of a newborn male's life, the fifth through seventh day of a newborn male's life, vitamin K begins to be produced. 
the vitamin norin is produced by bacterial action in the intestinal tract, it is only on day eight that the percentage of prothrombin climbs above 100% of normal. Only on day eight. Five through seven is building up. On day eight, it becomes to over 100%. The only day in the entire life of a newborn that the blood clotting element prothrombin is that high in day eight. That declares that that day eight is the best day for a surgical procedure like circumcision for a newborn male child. And so why did God say day eight? Because God said, listen to me, one day you'll figure it out. One day I'll give you some knowledge so that you'll understand. But just do what I say. Just do it. That's why God says we don't need to understand what God said. We just got to say, yes, Lord, amen. Uh, you said it. I believe it. I will do it. I know you know more than me. Hallelujah. And that's why God says, if, I, if God said it, I believe it. If God said it, I will do it. And so God says, circumcise your children on day eight. Why? Because he knew that's the best day that they have the best, the highest clotting factor, the least chance of anything going wrong or a child bleeding to death. And science, the medical science, is just figuring this out in, in terms of it's fairly recent. They didn't know this 1,500 years ago. But this is a truth that, 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 that medical, the medical science is finally getting to say, hey, you know, that's, day eight is the best day to circumcise a child, a male child. Now, if they only say, hey, God said that way back then. Hello? Think we should maybe, you think maybe we should do a little research in here? Huh? And see what else, what else, what else is there? But so many times this is just bypassed. Not even thought of. But God said this way back then. And only in recent years, recent history, has this thing been proven. In Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22. Proverbs 17, verse 22. Two things it says here in this one verse. Two profound things. Two things that could just go right over our heads. But all of God's word, it's not just there to fill space. You know, sometimes when you're publishing a book, you've got to have so many words before the book can get published. God didn't need to produce a certain amount of words so that the Bible could be published. Every word that God has put in there is for a reason and a purpose. And in Proverbs 17, 22, it says, A merry heart does good like medicine. Hallelujah. You know, uh, when the first scientific study was actually done uh, about laughter or merry heart doing a person good, we don't know. But we do know that uh, when you search it out on the internet, on the web, to find out, you know, when, when, when man finally found out that laughter was good medicine, it was only with, within like the last 10 to 15 years that scientists figured out and made statements like, 
Yes, laughter is good medicine. Hello? God said this. Guys, heads up. Laughter, laugh. Laugh a little bit in life. You know, laugh a little bit because laughter is good medicine. You're not feeling so good? Find something to laugh about a little bit. Clean, not filthy stuff. And I'll tell you how the devil distorts God's word and tries to distort the thinking of mankind to pervert man. There was on the news, and it, I've heard this before, but it was on the news that says if, that, that says if you want to feel good, start using foul language. It was on the news. They said a recent study says that people who curse feel better. It relieves tension. That's a perversion from the devil. God says, don't let any foul communication come out of your mouth. God says, laugh. Bless with your word. Use the word of God. Bless and not curse, the Bible says. And so God says, laughter is good medicine. We got to laugh a little bit, people. I've known religious people that walk around with the most sternest face. You're afraid to even go by them. You know, you might do something wrong and you might get the lightning bolt, you know. But, but, I mean, we need to be serious about the things of God, but we also need to laugh. Lighten up. Laugh a little bit. You know? Because God's Word says, a merry heart, laughter, does good, like medicine. Depression worry, all that stuff can play havoc with your physical body and with your mind. Man is, again, you do a study, when did this first become, you know, kind of like accepted in the scientific or medical realm? Not, not, fairly, fairly recent. Again, God was telling people, hey, lighten up, laugh a little bit. It's good medicine. In the same, same verse, he says, a broken spirit dries the bones. That means a whole slew of things come about when we start getting depressed, oppressed in our mind. In our, our body starts to say, hey, I can't handle this. I, I don't like depression. God says, I've come that your joy may be full. Joy, bring, joy brings laughter. Joy brings health. Joy is health to your spirit, your soul, and your body. That's why joy, Jesus said, I've come that you might have joy and have it to the full. Because joy, when we believe in the word of God, when we believe Jesus and have him in our life, he brings joy that brings a, a healthiness and a happiness, not only to our spirit, but to our body and our mind. But without Jesus... Depression and worry, anxiety, all these things start setting in. And as Christians, we cannot give place to these things in our lives because they don't belong, they're not part of our salvation package. If it's not part of the salvation package, I don't want it. And that's why we've got to fight against depression and worry, anxiety, and, all, and say, no, God gives me the peace that passeth all understanding to guard my heart and mind. 
I'm going to have a merry heart. I'm going to have the joy of the Lord as my strength. Hallelujah. The joy of the Lord is my strength. It strengthens our spirit, our soul, and our body. A merry heart doeth good like medicine, but as a, a, broken, a broken spirit dries the bones. And so God knew all this stuff way, way back. Trying to give, giving hints and clues and thoughts to mankind to say, listen to me. I know, I know these things. I know all about them. Look to me, the author and the finisher of your faith. Look to me, your creator. Look to me, the God who wants to bring blessing and wholeness into your life. You know, people go to psychiatrists and all this, and I'm not saying anything they shouldn't do or anything like that. But this is where they need to go to find all the help that you can get. You need peace in your mind and your spirit. You need health in your body. Here, go to the word of God and believe God's word. Receive God's word. Meditate on it. Pause and say, law, consider, think about it. It will be health to your bones. So these are just some samplings of where the Bible talks about scientific things, medical things, that, that God, God was trying to say, hello, guys, I know, listen up. You'll learn something here. And also the prophecies, the word of God is filled, filled with, with prophecies. You know, when I read Isaiah, when you read Isaiah chapters like 41 through 46, and I'm, in, there's a few verses here, but Isaiah, God is funny sometimes. When, when I read that, how God is like, like saying, present your case. Present your case to me. Come here. Who who can who can tell who can who can come up here and prophesy and say what's going to come to pass and what? Come on. Who who could do that? Remember with Joseph, when the Pharaoh had the dream, right? And he and he called all his his counsel and he said, "Come on, interpret this for me. Come on. Who who's here? Who can tell me this? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Nobody nobody had a clue." He said, listen, if you can't tell me, you, you, you know, I might kill you guys. I want an answer. And then one says, hey, I know somebody, Joseph. Because Joseph knew he didn't have the crystal ball, but he had the God who had the answers. The God who knew the beginning and the end. And you know the story. Joseph went to God and God gave, revealed to Joseph what he needed to say to Pharaoh. And what happened? Joseph got exalted, Right? Because he trusted God and went to God and trusted and looked to God. And so God is in Isaiah. He's saying, come on. Is there anybody here who can show us what's going to come to pass? Is there anybody here who spoke things in the past that, that were there that now came? And Nobody. That's why the Lord says, I'm the Lord. That's my name. My glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. He says, behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare before they spring forth. I tell, that, tell you of them. For I am God. He goes on, I am God. There's another declaring the end from the beginning. And so God is up there like saying, come on, is anybody here? Could, could anybody could say what's good? Everything that God said through the prophets, everything came to pass exactly as it, as it was. Hundreds of thousands of, uh, there's, I mean, I can't count as many of them, but there's numerous, numerous prophecies that everyone has been fulfilled. There's still some that are yet to be fulfilled, that are being fulfilled, 
but even those things that concern Christ. There are many prophecies concerning Christ that have already been fulfilled. On the road to Emmaus, after Christ was crucified, they were walking on the road and they were saying, oh, they were reflecting. Oh, it was wonderful, all the things about Jesus, you know, born in this fulfilling prophecy, born of a virgin, born here, you know, he did miracles, wonder work things, and and now he, he was crucified. Now he's crucified. And they were walking looking sad with their heads down. And, and Jesus approached them and said, Hello guys, what, why are you guys sad? And they said, Well, you know, we were hoping that he would be the Messiah. He said, Who? What? And they said, What are you, new in town? Have you just got to town? Didn't you hear the news? Are you aware of what's been going on? And Jesus said, What? Tell me. Come on, talk to me. What? 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 He knew. But he's trying to... And they said, oh, all this and that and that and that and that. And then it says that Jesus began to explain to them. Didn't the scriptures concerning Christ need to be fulfilled? And he began to go over the scriptures with them. And he broke bread. And when he broke bread with them, their eyes were open. And they understand that, that it was Jesus, that he had risen from the dead. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 24, verses 44 to 45, he says, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. You see, Jesus was telling them God's word is true and that every prophecy that was concerning him had to be fulfilled and come to pass. Had to be. Because God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. If God said it, he would do it. If he spoke it, he would bring it to pass. And this is what Jesus was saying to him. And all of a sudden, they got fired up. All of a sudden, they said, whoa, that's right, that's right. I got it, I get it. Yeah, all those scriptures came to pass. The prophecies, the Bible is true. That the scriptures are fulfilled. And that's why Bible truth applies to us today, because of all of these things that we look at, and we looked at just a few things. All of these things make us understand that there's a God in heaven who is in control, who's creator, who formed and fashioned everything. He knows he's much wiser than me, but he wants me to trust him because he's all wise God. He's all because he's all knowing, because he's almighty and all powerful, because of, of who he is. I trust him. I trust his word. If he said it, I'm going to pay attention to it. I'm going to take heed to the word of God and I'm going to put his word in my heart like David said. Hallelujah. And that's why when we take God's word and we believe it and stand upon it. It brings peace to calm a troubled and broken heart. Jesus says, you know, I've come to heal the brokenhearted. And that's why the word of God is for us today. It brings peace, the Bible truth. If we believe the truth of the Bible, it brings peace to our heart. And the Bible says, I will give you peace that passeth all understanding. Man today cannot still understand Peace. What is peace? It's more than a writing on a paper to say, don't throw a stone at me, I won't throw a stone at you. That's not peace. Peace is something much deeper and richer and, and more complex than that. And God said, I give you a peace that passeth understanding. 
What understanding? The understanding of the medical field, the understanding of the scientists. There's a piece that they can't put their hands on. They can't explain or even know, but I'll give it to you, and it will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And it says that we believe God's word. He will give us joy to lift our spirits. If we believe God's word, he'll give us love that casts out fear because it says perfect love casts out fear. Fear about life, fear about what you're facing, fear about what you're going through, fear about what you might go through, fear about a whole range of things. God says his love, when we fall in love with him, his love will cast out fear. Because in his love we find security. In his love we find shelter. In his love we find promises and blessings. I will never leave you nor forsake you. In his love we find everything we need for our daily living. And we can trust him. And when we trust the love of God for your life, it casts out the fears that the devil and this world will try to instill into you. If it's not part of the salvation package, I don't want it. Fear does not come with the salvation package. Jesus came to set us free. Free from those things. Hallelujah. And trusting in God's word gives us hope for tomorrow. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Right? Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. We have a hope of heaven. A hope of the glory of the Lord. Personally, as a believer for me, being saved about 33 years, I found the Bible to be the truth of the Bible, to be the power of God, to change and transform a person's life. God's word changed and transformed my life. I believe it. There's power in this word. Nothing transformed me and nothing changed me but the word of God. My faith in Jesus Christ in the living word of God. This has been a source to me of all my days when the being born again. A source of daily, daily joy and strength and peace and faith and hope and love. Daily this, this ministers to me. Daily this, this helps me and strengthens me. You know, the, you know, you don't wake up every day with a big smile on your face. There's days when you wake, you may wake up grumpy. You may wake up, but yet that we turn to the God. We meditate on God's word. Take a pause and a break and go and think about the word of God and meditate. And it relieves those things. It takes that stuff out of our lives. It's a daily source that blesses us. Amen. It's the rock upon which I stand. It's the anchor to my soul. Hallelujah. You know, the, there's that saying, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. The Bible says in Psalm 34, verse 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. The proof is in the pudding. Taste, eat the word of God. Take it and put it to heart and see if it will not change your life. See if it will not cast out fear. See if it will not bring you peace. See if it will not bring you joy and love and hope and all the things that you need. See, to, see that it will not give you a merry heart. See that it will not be good medicine to your bones and to your spirit and to all that. And so we want to go to higher ground. 
the higher ground of truth, biblical truth, the truth of God's word, the truth that Jesus declared to us. This is the higher ground that we want to elevate to, that we want to get to. I want the higher ground of God's truth to be in my life. I want to stand. I'm going to step up and believe the word of God. And I'm going to stand on that higher ground. Hallelujah. Because all other things that may be true are underneath, worldly. And they, I want to stand on the truth of God's word that elevates me to a place of healing and wholeness and blessing and so much, so much more. Aren't you glad God put you on higher ground, the higher ground of his truth? You know, you're in a place that learned men and women with degrees, degrees, degrees. They're not on that level, that higher level that you are on. You might not have a degree, but if you believe God's word, you're on higher ground. Now, if someone does have a degree, they're still on the same level as you because God brings us all, when we stand on his word, we're all together. And God will, will be able to work in people's lives who have education and learning. If they trust in him and stand on the higher ground of his word, hope be able to give them witty inventions and other things that will be able to bless and help other people because they take his word and apply it through their field or through their, through their labors. And that's how we bless each other. That's how we do it. Whatever your skill set, whatever it is you do, when we do it on the higher ground of God's word, our lives are blessed and we become a blessing to others. Be blessed. We're on the higher ground of God's word. Stand with me.